Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast where myself and my co-host Carol Fitzpatrick interview people in midlife about their lives and their stories. And today my guest is Eric Mullins. Eric's a friend I met many years ago in the mid 80s when we were all very young. And I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, hi, Jill. Um, Eric Mullins here. Um, I'm 62. Um, maybe I'm 61. I'm not sure. But anyway, I'm give or take. I'm in the 62nd year, it must be. Um, I was born in Dublin, first 10 years of my life in Newbridge County, Kildare. Moved to Galway when I was 10. Um, went to school in Galway. Lived in the city. Studied in our college. And left Galway in 1985-86, possibly. Is that Galway City you left? Yeah, Galway surrounds. Uh, Galway mm-hmm. uh, moved to Kilcalgan and set up a pottery with my wife. Uh, we had a, a son at that stage. And um, that was that was what we did. So um, then we moved along, I suppose, and had another child. Um, so two kids, tried to keep it all together. Uh, late 80s okay. um, yeah well I've actually even learned something new about you uh, Eric I, I didn't know you were born in Kildare and for international listeners uh, we're here in Galway in the west of Ireland and Kildare would be on the east coast of Ireland so yeah and I didn't know that you had uh, gone and did art in college either so there you go and we were running around in the 80s um, all we were doing was all of us were just having the crack and having fun. And oh, and by the way, crack in Ireland means fun. It's C R A I C. It's the Irish language version of that. It's not a drug. <laughs> so anyway, Eric, look, it's lovely to have you here. I'm delighted you could come on this gorgeous, sunny, very warm evening in Ireland, which is so so rare to get. And we're going to get a week of it. So tell me, how has uh, midlife been for you so far? I actually didn't even think you were 62. I thought you were uh, in your I'm, mid-late 50s. No, no, 62nd year. I'm, I'm 61, <laughs> if you crunch the numbers. But uh, <laughs> midlife, what's midlife? Midlife is, um, is I suppose, um, uh, I mean, it's, it obviously includes a series of aches and pains. Um, it's... Um, working as a carpenter all my my working life I suppose and working physically in between digging gardens and and humping timber to build roofs and whatever it becomes very laborious and selling timber you know it's all heavy um so um so the back is perfect count of every lift and um I'm my midlife has has been um well, somewhat painful <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, no. but we get over that because you just you can't be dwelling on that you have to get on and keep going yeah like. no a number of friends that maybe we even have in common that have worked like you you know electrician or something that's very physical knees and hips yeah, 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 and absolutely. wrists and yeah. all sorts of different. how do you how do you manage that do you, well, you don't do anything it. do you take think. anything do you go not, to anybody personally no i mean no. I'm, i've always been advised to Get the acupuncture and this and that and the other and and I suppose I'd be dosed with homeopathy with my partner wife, but um, I wouldn't necessarily consider that as being um, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and I suppose I do self-medicate in many ways with the odd beer and whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. But um, and it's not that it's an entitlement, but it cer- certainly is refreshing in an evening. Yeah, but you should mind your back all the same. Well, I do. See, I'm only 62. I know, well. I do mind my back, but at the same time, I don't have a contingency when it comes to getting stuff moved. It has to be moved. Yeah, yeah, I understand um, that. You know, so there's always something to be moved. There's always something coming in or something going out, like, and it's just, it's a constant. Like, so, um, but I, I just suck it up, really. That's what I yeah. do with all the problems associated with manhood just yeah, yeah. Suck well tell us a bit more about uh, problems with with manhood and midlife <laughs> um 
I, I don't know. I, I, I would like to consider that I was blessed with the happy gene and, and, and coming from 60s Ireland, we've, we've, we were born into, a, I suppose, a closeted world. So it's very easy to just throw that stuff into the closet or the shelf or the wardrobe and just park it there. So, um, you know, men don't talk about midlife in that kind of way, as, as I was possibly said to you. Um, so, I mean, what can I say about midlife? It includes, it includes a sore back. It includes uh, your, your, your companions in your life have, have midlives too. And I suppose that's as overwhelming as your own midlife. Um, and then you've got kids to deal with, and that, that's a process. Uh, my eldest is, gosh, 37 now, I suppose. 36, 37, must be 37. And um, my youngest is 21. So when I was coming in to meet you this evening, I got a big beep from a car, and I looked behind there with my 21-year-old son, giving me a big honk, and uh, so I gave my honk back. And uh, so it's, 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 it's lovely, you know, it's nice. And I suppose that's the... Um, is that the the thing that transcends all back pain is the bounty of children and now at this stage grandchildren. So I don't know. Um, you know, you just get on with it. That's what you do. You, but you that know. is midlife. Midlife, uh, you know, brings like you say aches and pains and changes in the body, um, but also um, for people, you know, for people that ha have partners and. Uh, have children you know it's all of that and then aging parents as well so there's all these things that happen obviously I mean that's that's bound to happen we're we're the next ones that are going to be like older whatever that you have your uh, parents and and children and you've grandchildren that's uh, amazing that's is that your oldest that has the, yeah, the, Aaron, yeah, and yeah. there in Dubai two two little girls latest one arrived uh, a couple of months ago so it's all you know it's it's the full it's the full cycle isn't it I mean is that you know that's a very that is really a full cycle and yeah. you can't really see them at the minute if they're in Dubai love to be there, but you know you just can't so um and then you've you have like I my dad passed away two years ago uh, midsummer so it's all been very you know midlife um midlife is a bizarre package for for us all and it's an individual package so it's 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 a roller coaster in every respect and very difficult at times but sure that's just going through life isn't it it is but i heard someone say recently i've heard this before and I mean, we're not in old age, but it's that thing of old age is not for the faint hearted. But, you know, you have to continually keep keeping on when you get older. Um, but it, it is it's lovely when you have children and especially grandchildren as well. But when we were talking earlier, um, Eric, you mentioned that you'd like to look back over the years back to when we would all have met when I would have met you was uh, the mid 80s and you wanted to have a, a look back at that I remember you with your ice cream cart that was amazing I always think oh Eric are you talking oh ice cream Eric that's still referred to as ice cream Eric I have and no that... photographic record of that that gets oh. back to the archive again oh my uh, goodness it was quite a novel thing it was it, it I remember was... the sign as well you yeah. had the sign and I remember one time I remember you out on the prom because back then maybe I'm imagining it we used to have a lot better so Summers, or we had more warm weather than we did, but I definitely uh, I, I remember you back. But in, I think that would be um, like this summer being such a fine summer. I, I think I think it'll go down in people's memories as being we've always had fine summers too. Yeah. But um, no, I enjoyed. I like basically when the when uh, when I left college and we were in the club scene doing what we were doing and met my partner Caroline. Johnny Golgar, the more than yourself. Um, and uh, we had Aaron and, and Ziva. The, the ice cream business was, uh, it was an income earner. It was how to how to raise a child with um, with a good summer. So I, I sold ice cream from a motorbike and sidecar. It was brilliant. And I had a friend, Annette Moore, a lovely lady. Um, she was on a push cart up the salt hill and um, we rang bells and wear colored clothes and sold 
scoops of ice cream and it was uh, it was just amazing really um i suppose you could do that back in the day i suppose you'd need um 1500 certifications before you could do that today but but we just would often did it uh obviously didn't do it unannounced um but but it wasn't it wasn't a, a certified um business as <laughs> because the, but it was lovely it probably cream. couldn't be certified even <laughs> <laughs> it was a, so a, I just, yeah that's form, that's yeah. my uh that's my never-ending uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. vision memory of you i will always remember <laughs> the ice yeah. cream but band. as i say no I, yeah. my photograph was taken on a few occasions and if somebody has a photograph of eric selling ice cream I, I, oh, i'd love to see it i'll have to look out but, for that uh, i didn't have a camera back then none of us sad to really work that way <laughs> she made hardly any money yeah, yeah. so anyone listening to this yeah. uh, i'm sure it's across the world but in ireland we were fully in a recession back in the 80s. It was, it was like it was a constant recession, really. It was from the 60s. <laughs> we hadn't had the boom. Right. We hadn't had the boom since the noughties. And, and then that went off. Not uh, even in the 70s. But, but, uh, and we all flipping disappeared off. Well, I went off to, Ing to London. And yeah. A few went to America. And a few went to Australia. You stayed, though, because you were married to, as you mentioned earlier, uh, at that stage, Caroline. And uh, but a significant event occurred in your 20s because you married quite young, uh, which often happens when we get to our midlife. Um, but it sort of changed the course of your life, didn't it? Well, yeah, like um, my relationship with Caroline uh, broke down and um, we separated. Very difficult, um, no more than you saying you went to London. Well, uh, that was when I headed to London as well to work as a as a carpenter joiner, I suppose. And uh, I suppose that was a, a big change in my life, you know, that um, I suddenly I let, well, I mean, prior to that, I had been doing market trading. I'd been selling army surplus from Donegal to Kerry uh, along the Western Sea Round, along the Wild Atlantic Way in the depths of winter. And it was fairly wild and fairly dismal, but it, it paid its way and uh, it, it, it um, funded a household. So that was that was what it was really. But it was an awful lot of away from home and and uh, trying to make a few quid as it was at the time. And what age were you then? You must only have been oh, 20, 25, 26, 27. Yeah, um, I suppose. Um, Ziva was born when I was 27, yeah. So that's my eldest daughter. She's in Australia now. Um and um the the the, the marriage broke down and I packed my bags and headed to London. And uh, you were probably hanging around at the same time. We didn't meet in London, but um but we met the same crowd in London. You know? That's right. I so left there. in 85 and came back in 89. Okay, well, but you would have met Dave Mangan and Cabrini and all those in London, probably. Yeah, there was yeah. a good gang of us. But anyway, yeah, that was that. And then I uh, managed to rustle up the price of a small uh, premises and um, came back and established myself back home again. Never looked back at my days in London. Um, other than just to think fondly of them, London was good to me. So, um, so yeah, that, that and was... and that changed you significantly then because that was like a pivot you weren't expecting. Um, what did did that change the, the course of the rest of your life after a marriage breakup that young? I uh, mean, it's well, a bit more. Age. It's a bit more than a, just a relationship when you're not married to someone. It's and especially in Ireland when you couldn't really get divorced. You can get divorced in Ireland. That's then. right, yeah. You, well, you couldn't get much. You couldn't get condoms either. That's right. Yeah, talk <laughs> but, a bit about that. But uh, That's it, true. it was a very prohibitive mm -hmm. um, uh, world in the eighties. There was referendums for abortion, and there were people canvassing for divorce as well, forming, writing down your opinions so they'd know what camp you were from. In so far as a pro or anti-abortion or divorce or anything, it was 
fairly dark time all the time. Talk a bit about Ireland then in the 80s. Yeah, no, so our international a, listeners wouldn't really know. Yeah, no, it was, was a, quite repressive, even though we were all having yeah, great fun and all the rest of it. Well, well we, we were as we were the avant-garde, I suppose. But um somebody I was listening to a similar, not a similar, but a, a podcast about a, a, a month ago, and they talked about Ireland not having a modern uh, that modern stage in Ireland that we went from um, pre-modern to post-modern and that then they were comparing it to Holland that if you had for example a, a gay prime minister in Holland it would be considered unheard of it wouldn't happen but Ireland because we moved straight from pre-modern without having that modern thing and straight into post-modern that we can accept that now whether that's just somebody's idea or but I, I thought it was interesting that um an interesting angle on on ireland as uh, as a nation today um it was very quick all right I, I have never heard that and that's very insightful of who ever told it you that a, it was a dutchman in a, in a in a podcast really is what it was and and that's what he said he said ireland is just a leading light in europe because they seem to just embrace and i suppose it gets back to maybe smoking bans or plastic bag taxes or whatever we seem to embrace very easily um kind of radical enough change you know we you know, we're we're and I, I don't know, without kind of propping up the Irish as being this massive uh, um, flagship of Europe, um, but there, there's a certain a certain pride in being Irish because we are quite forward-thinking, and yet we're still ordinary because we can still remember our mothers making clothes or darning socks or whatever. And I don't believe that the European or the English or the American, for that matter, would have experienced that that our generation in America wouldn't have experienced repairing socks like. Not, not our age group, maybe, because no, I remember... They were, they were, I, we were 20 years behind all that, I'm quite sure. I, I remember, mean, you know, the, the cousins and the aunties send, or my one auntie, should I say, sending over clothes from Arsons. America. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. And that was, anyone and who this, had anybody in America, that was how it was. Yeah, yeah. and they were, they certainly were um, definitely more advanced. They would have had more gadgets and things than we had and we were, I remember it was in the <laughs> 80s when we got a colour TV yeah um I, I have to say I'm a little bit nostalgic for well, the much more uh communal sort of the more smaller groups and village feeling of Ireland I do miss that sometimes and I, I'd like to think we might get back to that at some stage um yeah, it, it was an interesting time, all right. But you had children very young as well, Eric. Uh, you were also in your 20s. It wasn't so young for that time. But in our group, as you said, we were a sort of an avant-garde group. And some of you had kids, but a lot of us didn't. And we did it a bit older. I didn't, but most people that I know did it a little bit older. And... Um, how was it having children then and how did having children change you? Because I know you love having children. Yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> I removed myself from the, the scene as it was because I knew that, that there was a job at hand and that was to feed the kids and get on with it. And, and that was the object of the exercise. Um, after my summer of ice cream, I moved to selling army, army surplus, as I said, and uh, traversed the west, western seaboard to bring in a few quid. Um, we set up, my wife and I set up a, a, a wee pottery in in Kilcalgan and we made ceramics in, and that was the summer side and the winter side was army surplus. And um, I suppose the strain of, of the 80s and the strain of married life and the strain of kids and the strain of just the strain of life I suppose and the thing the relationship fell apart um so it's difficult to blame anyone really um that's just the way the cookie crumbles um so I headed to London and um between coming and going from London 
bringing a few quid in and uh, coming back, seeing the kids, spending time here and there and here and there. And um, and before you know where you are, you're, you can you can buy something because everything was very cheap then. So you, I bought property and that, that was the starting point of my permanent return because I, I had a, a base, a station, I suppose. And um, and then in the late 80s, 1990, that whole thing in London had dried up, that was finished. So we were back to, the, the, the opportunities weren't in London after 1990. There was a crash in, in August and July of 1990, and that was that. So we were back home and then between Ireland, jobs here and there, working as a carpenter, having the tools, the toolkit, there was always um, there was always a job coming up or or finishing up or whatever. There was always a bit, a bit to do, you know. And your your you did carpentry work. Um, I know that you said you were in art college as well. Did the carpentry sort of were you doing straightforward carpentry work or were Absolutely, you doing anything yeah. no, creative as well? Straightforward carpentry. Um, I suppose having a three-dimensional kind of uh, head on me and having the, the, the hands, uh, using your hands, that's what our college was all about for me. I, I did, did ceramics um, and very sculptural kind of stuff. So to use my hands, uh, cutting wood and uh, using tools and equipment, it was just a, like second nature, really. Um, I blagged it. You know, I said I am a carpenter, and and <laughs> I was a carpenter, and I did the job, and went on to the next one, and that was how it was, really. That's great. And then through through the the, the skill set that you acquire and the the toolkit that you acquire, you go on to make more adventurous things, and um, you know, heavy old post and beam construction at one stage, um, reproduction cannons for the Boyne Valley at another stage, fantastical geometric stairs at another stage. Um, so you did do some creative something oh, yeah, more because I'm, I'm trying to link in with what you said you were in art college. So did yeah, you yeah, do ceramics was, in art did, college? Did ceramics, yeah, and and a uh, year of fine art and your typical foundation year. But um no it's it's it would have I mean I was never uh, academic but I'd be willing to talk my way through and around anything um intellectually. I would never have been a literary academic. My my literary, the amount of books that I've read in my life could be counted probably on all my digits. Oh, okay, but not everyone likes to read. Well, really. it never, it's not, it didn't not for everyone. <laughs> it no, it's not for everyone. But uh, yeah, no, I did. I did. I did great work. Um, very proud of my work. Um, Tell us about some of the pieces that you did then. Well, I suppose uh, the, 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 the cannons for the Boyne Valley, they were uh, completely made of wood. Um, Would you tell us the cannons? Yeah, like, it's King uh, Billy's cannons. Okay, North, yeah. Six, six. And is there a bit of history around that as well? The, there was part of the North-South Agreement. There was funding there for the Boyne Valley. Um, now, just say, where, where is the Boyne Valley? Uh, the Boyne Valley is, is the, it's the valley on the River Boyne. It would be uh, Meath to Louth, I suppose. Going so it's the, the east, east coast, east coast of, of Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, yeah, north of Dublin. Um, there was a, a famous battle between uh, the, 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 the Williamites and there was King Billy and who was it? But anyway, the, there was, as part of the North-South Agreement and the uh, IRA making peace with the, the, the Loyalists, they decided that they would turn the Boyne Valley, uh, the site from the Battle of the Boyne into a heritage site. Um, where the loyalists could come down and see where they won the Battle of the Boyne and so forth and so on. I think it might have been the 16th century. I suppose I should have done my homework and I should have known more about it for you. But uh, regardless, anyway, made the cannons and they... And were they big? Could you describe they were, they were life the cannons? Size. The wheels were... So we made 12 wheels with steel hoops, um, proper wooden wheels. Um, 
on that sat on steel shafts and wooden frames with um and we didn't cast cannons we made we turned the cannon stocks out of um larch the whole all the wood was larch and um i brought the timber in from austria not specifically for that but uh, it was for another job and um and the timber was there so three or four months work for three or four lads making cannons for the the um for Dukas actually it was they were all the employers on the day so Dukas is what organization they would be would they be at the time they would have been a, a, a like branch. a heritage they would have been heritage but it would have been a branch of the office of public works i suppose and the office of public works are the crowd that are over national monuments bridges etc 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 and um as I say, as part of the North-South Agreement, they commissioned uh, six reproduction cannons from uh, from us uh, as part of the Boyne Valley Heritage Site. Okay. And are they still there? They, well, they should be. I, I mean, I hope they don't leave them out in the depths of winter when nobody's looking at them. But if, if they brought them in in winter, they should be perfect. Yeah, that's that's um, a nice piece of history nice piece, yeah. to have been involved in. And so, what other what other pieces have you done? Well, I mean, the wood, the wood that we used in the cannons was brought in for the hull of the Jeannie Johnson with a tall ship we built down in um, in Blennerville and Kerry. And, uh, a tall, is, is it an actual functioning a, tall a, ship? A three-masted tall ship, which was oh. part of uh, the North-South Agreement as well, coincidentally. Another. Just explain the North-South Agreement there for uh, our listeners. Well, then, the, I suppose it goes back to the foundation of the Free State when uh, Northern Ireland became part of Britain um, and the South of Ireland became the Free State uh, because before that it was part of Britain. And uh, I suppose the division didn't work out very well and the Catholics and the Protestants fought, especially since the 70s on. And it was, I suppose we were fighting for equality and fighting for um, basic dignity. But it was in included in armed struggle, it included bombs, it included guns, it included the army, it included armed personnel carriers, you know you're close to it from Donegal and stuff, but it was there. But anyway, they, they all got together, all happy as Larry, and they decided that they would settle their differences. And part of that was uh, the building of a tall ship in Glenerville and Kerry. Who got together on that project? It would have been the, it would have been, it would have included uh, loyalist youth, um, Republican youth from uh, the North as part of the North-South Agreement. Um, it would have included uh, local carpenters, uh, foreign carpenters. Um, so it was huge, it was a 140 foot tall ship, like um, 550 ton, three masted. Huge thing. Like is massive. it still there? It's moored in Dublin now, except when it goes on. I've seen that ship in Dublin. It, yeah. It's absolutely it's quite stunning. Spectacular, yeah. It's beautiful. So I, I with my uh, one of my Austrian friends, we supplied the hull for the. Oh, the hull for the oh. ship. So it was like we we imported six hundred cubic meters of larch from the Austrian Alps. And um, so that was an amazing project. And did they sail the ship? Oh yeah, it was, yeah. It was even in Donegal. I saw it in uh, in um, Loxwilly, I suppose, um, once. So I mean, it would have it's gone around Ireland. And it has it ever come to Galway here? Um, I can't say, but it must have. Uh, no matter you know it must have come to Galway. I don't know. It's something yeah, to do a yeah. Google search and see. But it traveled. It traveled to these tall ship races and stuff. It's a flagship of of Ireland, really. Lovely project to bring people together. Often projects do bring people together. You yeah. know, especially the north, south. You know, Northern Ireland and the Southern Ireland. A lot of those projects have actually been quite successful. Yeah, but this was quite yeah. a successful one. But it included our our president uh, naming the ship and the whole lot. And it was, you know, it's a full palaver. Um, so, um, Did, were you involved in building any of the ship? Wasn't no, it was just supplying the, the whole. Yeah. But it included a constant drama, like massive truckloads of planks. Um, 15 and a half metres long, travelling up from the Austrian Alps to, to Kerry. 
That's um, uh, quite a job. You know, well, it gives you special permits and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you, you become fairly um, accomplished with moving stuff as well. You know, it's it's, um, it's knacky, like mm. it's, you know, moving big lumps of stuff with knacky, you know. Mm. So it's, um, it was mighty, it was really mighty. It was mighty, mighty, mighty. And it. any other project that you're really proud um, of? Yeah, well, um, I made a few quite fantastic stairs. I would have made curved stairs. Um, so that was really nice to be making curved stairs. It's quite spectacular. Um, oh, what did you make the curved stairs for? Was it for a castle? For, no, for a house. Just for a house? Well, the, um, the Celtic Tiger was busy <laughs> and the curved stairs was required. So that was it. And then uh, at another stage, I made a geometric stairs, which to describe it would be, um, I'll describe it as best as I can. So it was probably... Um, four foot wide, 1.2 meters wide, uh, three steps up and then four steps on a quarter turn and then three steps up again and another four steps on a quarter turn and then another three steps again to, to a landing. So that includes... you quite dizzy going up and down those stairs. No, it wouldn't be. It's actually quite, it's quite beautiful, really. Oh, I'm sure um, it is. Uh, but even the, the, the even with your eyes closed, the actual, you, you know where things are. Um, so it's, it's quite a nice... Um, and you designed that? Designed a bit, yeah. Um, obviously, you learn as you go along, so it would have been easier to build it a second time without going quite so geometric. <laughs> but regardless, anyway... It, it, was, it included, you know, a, a continuous inside string. So you've got this really peculiar shaped piece of wood that looks like something useless, really, until it's installed. Um, joining massive pieces of timber, um, a handrail or handrail switch could have had maybe 400 pieces of timber in it to make it up. Um, so that all has to be glue laminated up and and whatever and and ultimately when it's all assembled it just becomes a handrail so it's you know those days and weeks of assembling pieces of wood just end up being a piece of handrail <laughs> but that's just the job you take yourself into and you just do it um, you know and, and the aesthetics associated with and there's huge um mechanical challenges as well um, to, to because it has to be correct as well as it has to function correctly it has to function aesthetically and 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 then you're dealing with the client as well so I mean so it has to be bang on really you know there's no um, but and maybe the hardest part sometimes is keeping the client happy no the hardest part is probably just keeping the head together knowing that the solution will come to the challenges associated with each problem because uh, I, I, I never trained in making geometric stairs or curved stairs it's something that I I knew I could do and I just did it um, told, told the client that I could do it and that was it you know I can do that I can I can where do you find that uh, place inside you that can get you to the point of saying, I can do something when you've never done it before and you know that it's going to be like, as you say, you know, you really have to think about this. Oh, there's, there's desperate challenges associated with it. But uh, I mean... How did you figure out the stair? I mean, where did you get to when it came to figuring out the stairs? Well, having the material, especially the geometric well, ones. Well, I had the, the materials first. That's the first thing. So the first thing you need is materials. If you have materials, well, then you can transcend all the um, the other problems because failure can be just um, repurposed in something else. So if you make a mistake, it's not a disaster. You every every you only have to learn one move at a time. Um, it's not like you're facing into an abyss you know if you walk to Dublin it's only one step at a time and if you start making a fantastic geometric stairs and my, my son Aaron was um, around at the time and he was able to construct a, a sketch up a digital drawing 
And so I, I told him what to put in the drawing. He did the drawing. And between various angles, I was able to show the client, this is what I can do for you. So there was massive conviction in the, in the, in the portfolio that I put together for the job. Um, and then, as I say, having the materials and being able to do mock-ups and samples of various aspects of it. And knowing with the skill set that you'd have, because you know, when you when you work the way I've worked, I've just worked in all sorts of jobs mm. here, here, there, left, right, and center. And um, I suppose I having said already, I haven't read a lot of books, but I, I have looked at an awful lot of pictures and an awful lot of carpentry books and have a deep understanding of how woodwork and joinery would be anywhere from, from school. Like I just love woodwork in school. Um, so, and the parents would have said, no, no, you're not going to be a carpenter. You're going to go to college and you're going to be great. And uh, so when, when my life uh, took its turn for London, I took the carpentry because that's what everybody else was doing. And I suppose it's, uh, uh, in some respects, it's, it's, it's following your path. You're, um, hopes and aspirations because that's all I wanted to be when I was in school as a carpenter that's amazing so, now, just um, when you said that that's what you wanted to be all along and your parents yeah. as lots of parents are only trying to do their do best that, absolutely yeah, yeah. So anyway, but you do get sent so off when did, when did yeah, yeah. College and then and then uh, to become a carpenter so yeah yeah um, well, look, I, I just love to see those pieces. Did you keep uh, any record or of I those have, pieces? I, in I have a very poor record here and there. Uh, we, we, we discovered the odd picture here and there, but, but literally there is no major um, archive of the stuff. Um, had regrets about not having an archive, but made a conscious decision back in the day not to have an archive. So the, the notion of regrets was processed very easily because I made that decision not to have an archive. And why did you make that decision? I don't know. I suppose it's a question of how important I felt it to be. Um, did you not feel it was important? Did you think you were just doing things as you went along? Well, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I never really considered it to be all that important. Um, I mean, I know we're all different, and uh, I would have met people in the in the nineties that would bring out a, a portfolio when they'd be going to try and get work. Um, never had to do that. I always seemed to get enough work, and and I suppose it, it, maybe I'm not big headed about it. I don't know. I mean, I haven't even talked about it to many people really. Um, you know, the full gambit of of uh of my portfolio as such so i don't know um it just didn't um keep an archive and as i say having the pangs of regrets was easily dealt with because i didn't choose to keep an archive so why would you beat yourself up over something you chose to do like and you know that's i and again this has been general i've said this on other podcasts as well but I do hear quite often that men, more than more than men anyway, some women, but mo much more than men, you, if there's something that you do regret, you just sort of go, okay, I did or I didn't do whatever it is. And you just somehow manage to move on. One of my other uh, guests, uh, I think it was Rourke said he compartmentalizes things in his mind and you'll just, that's, you know, put that there, that's there or whatever. Yeah, well, that, that's probably. Because uh, you're say, talking about a whole body of like really interesting pieces. Yeah, yeah, so it's did. a lifetime of work really, yeah. um, you know, but I mean, I, I, when I was in Austria, um, when we were getting the timber, I, have, I did a full, um, album, I suppose, of that whole timber experience. Um, and there would have been photographs of when we were down at the Jeannie Johnson, but just giving away, I suppose. You just give away photographs um, between, um, you know, you'd sell timber to somebody and so here's a photograph from the Austrian Alps and, you know, remind you or whatever. Excuse me, so, um, 
I just don't have an, an archive as such. I, I know I've, I have a few bits and pieces here and there, but uh, anyway, um, that was that was that was how it was. But even if you go back, I'm just thinking. I don't know. Is it a hundred years or or more or maybe less? When people didn't have all the technology that we have now to, That's right, right. to, to write stuff. Well, write, books have been on the go for <laughs> centuries, but no photos before a hundred odd years ago. Uh, you know, there wasn't the technology to record stuff. It went down orally. Yeah, yeah. Um, orally, should I say, and orally, actually. But, um, so but in a way, you're, it's a kind of almost what could I say uh, you know if you think of indigenous peoples that often don't record stuff or there's no need to record stuff so well uh, as, as I say ultimately, ultimately ultimately at the time I didn't have that need to mm. to make that that uh, album or whatever or albums of my uh, achievements you know mm. because I mean I would have worked on all sorts of mad stuff like um, you know, funny shaped houses and peculiar roofs and, and you know. Is there a funny shaped house in Ireland? There's loads of them, of course. Did you build? <laughs> well, I built an, an eight-sided house at one stage with uh, another child. You built a what? An eight-sided house. So it'll be an octagon. Oh, so, that'd um, be interesting to live yeah. in. Do, do you know the people that live in it? I don't know who lives in it now. Um, the lady was built for a Dutch lady back in the day in the early 90s um but as i say an awful lot of interesting uh it was a timber framed house so um, so um yeah and uh other timber frame constructions i suppose i was possibly one of those um timber frame carpenters amongst other things um so um yeah and then the um the, uh, the 2008 crash came and um, everything dried up. So um, at the time we were reasonably cash rich, so I was able to concentrate on the house and uh, put together um, a reasonable um, reasonable homestead for, for everybody. Um, it came out lovely. It's supposed to be a lovely, comfortable house, which is... Um, was a 21st century house for want of a better description, even though its provenance is a 1935 farmhouse, but it's there and the original house is still very identifiable. But um did you build that yourself? The the extensions I built myself, yeah. With um well obviously bringing in people as well for, for various trades and same story, timber frame. Um you need people to do it. So I would have I would have financed as an orchestrator the whole thing and um and i would have also did a lot of reading and dealing in in old slates so i would have put the old slates back up on the new extension so everything would be in keeping as such with the original house and um and yes yeah, lovely great wonderful warm comfortable Oh, I'd imagine, um, especially a timber frame house well yeah. you don't see the timber frame aspect to it really but but it does have that that um, warmth and and whatever. My home is a timber frame. Okay, house. lovely, yeah. great. Prob not not as well, nice you, as yours. Well, you don't know that either. You I, I'm sure that. it's not as nice but, as um, yours. Yeah. But you, you but you can't tell the difference as a timber frame house. And my mother lives in a timber frame, and you just okay. feel you just feel the difference. They're, they're lovely and warm, and they're mm. snug, and they're lovely, and they're. Um, but I think there's a nice. Uh, vibration energy okay, off of wood as well, as opposed to concrete. I wouldn't be able to argue that one one way or the other with you. Um, but I do know that we. I mean, our our original house was a mass concrete nineteen thirty five. It wasn't a mass concrete. It was a mass limecrete house, which was very um. Was very frugal when we moved in. It was um very frugal for and quite a number of years it was very spartan and very um pioneering but it's lovely now <laughs> of course yeah but you know it's great when you have the ability you have to see what you can turn your house into and to be able to do it as well and probably do that added extra ness to your house 
that's, you know, that you can afford to do because you know how to do it and can do some of it yourself. But it sounds amazing. It really does. Um, well, look, do, do you have, a, you don't have very many regrets, do you? And if you um, don't have many regrets. No, I mean, in, in principle, um, I've always functioned without regrets. Um, but to say one has no regrets is ridiculous because we all must have regrets. Um, but if 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 I if I was pressed on it for regrets, the regrets that I would have in my life would surely have to be uh, just failed relationships, and that's not just. Uh, uh, partners that's people in your life that that um you know without getting into specifics um there's no need to really but the relationships that become dysfunctional um would resonate with me very um very strongly um and with with um Without having regrets on it, I would have aspirations that that um, any relationship that I ever had that was dysfunctional um, or non-functioning that it could be rectified. Um, at least in my soul, if not in both souls, and if not both souls together, um, as an aspiration, um, notwithstanding the challenges associated with that. But um, that they that they would be their their lives the only regrets that I would have in my life really. And they're deep regrets, uh, not regrets, sorry, but they're deep things. What you're saying about relationships when they you know when they don't when they start where any relationship I I I can understand. That's, that's not to hope for like a you know an ever ending meadow of poppies and daisies and daffodils it's 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 not that it's just that there would be uh an understanding without looking for a success or failure it was just that it, that it wouldn't be an abrupt unresolved relationship yeah it's more um, about as you say the resolution and i'm not talking about i'm not talking about my partners as such or whatever this is across the gambit of of because like there, there are friends in my life from when we would hang around together and i'd phone them up and we'd chat and we might only see each other once every three months or three years i might even communicate for three months or three years but that relationship would still be that type relationship that we would have had uh then and and whatever but the other relationships that will never possibly never ever have that oh how are you doing on, on a phone call or a chance meeting um, that's that's what i'm trying to give to you do you follow what i'm getting yeah no yeah. i i do and that's what i would you know bawling yeah. my eyes over like that yeah but at least something i have a couple of friendships that ended over the years um and this i still feel a bit sad about them yeah um even though I mean, i'm I mean, over it, them but yeah but, only a couple. but it's not just that i mean sometimes relationships just fall apart or you outgrow them or you well that is the same thing is it yeah i suppose you, know? you were you were at a different time that were only for that time in your life and the things that you were doing then yeah and uh and really nothing but the regrets of, of the experiences I, I would not have but as I say the regrets mm -hmm. of, of, a, of a failed relationship um, where the relationship doesn't continue on in 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 a, in a casual way that you you know you see the person on the other side of the street and if they didn't see you you took into a shop because you wouldn't want to be in in I don't know. I'm just, do you know, again, maybe it's maybe, and that's yeah, not to say that would happen either, but just the, it's, it's, um, I don't know, is it the human condition? Like, because we have a, we have a huge capacity for thought that we might even overread stuff and maybe it's not like that at all. Maybe we should be able to just 
knuckle up and face it. <laughs> and sometimes you just don't know until you don't know, you don't know no. unless you actually communicate to the other person. And it's interesting. I find relationship of any kind just fascinating. It is um, fascinating. There's no doubt. I, the human condition, I, I, I explored the human condition in, in a very deep way in the last 10 years. And while I'm none the wiser, I'm most fascinated by it. It's just so that's what you did in your midlife when you got to 50, 51. I'll tell you what I did in my midlife now. The 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 extension was built on the house, and I decided then that I would, because there was no work at out there, I decided that I would reactivate my artistic side and I went into a creative mode. So I I made artistic pieces of um of uh, amazing um artistic pieces in my humble opinion well I, i'd love to hear about them what, what um, is it painting or ceramics i did, I, I or did paintings i did a, a small bit of ceramics um i used wood um i used found objects i used all sorts of things uh, i made because i had an exhibition during the arts festival one year there um God, it could be seven years ago now or eight years ago at this stage. Um, it was a great exhibition in the shopping centre down in um, Terryland Shopping Centre, would it be? They did have something out in the yeah, Terryland so Shopping Centre. I was, I was, I had a, I had a fairly... I missed that, Eric. How well, you can't catch all the balls, say. you know. But um, it, was, it was very exciting. It was very different. I had a, an exhibition with a friend of mine probably had 50 60 pieces in there at the time um, and do you sell your artwork um i have sold some pieces but in the main it's 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 probably not very sellable maybe it is sellable um but i didn't manage to, i didn't manage to reinvent myself as an artist as such but um, you have re you have uh, buoyed up your soul by a lot came out, a lot came out in in the uh, in the artistic sense it was really um I show you some pictures at some stage where they were they were really um, and even that I, I know I I asked a photographer to take a full um photographic uh record of the whole thing, but that's somewhere on a computer which may not even be functioning at this stage. I don't know. So but there were there was a full a full um archive of photographs there. Which but I know I know I have some samples something yeah yeah of that exhibition and and for our listeners uh it's the Galway International Arts Fest it's a really big uh festival that we have here every July or we usually have it we didn't have it last year bar a little bit in October and even that wasn't very much because of the whole COVID thing and uh, we have a little bit going on this year, but it's nothing like it was. It's yeah. like, oh, my goodness. It's like two fantastic weeks in the year with the film festival the week before that, which is just my favorite three weeks in the year. I'd never go away during the summer because why would I when I have all this it's like here, artistic yeah. creativity yeah. to go see and experience? And I can't wait for it to come back. Um, what, what do you most value in your life? It would have to be my, um, my family. It would have to be, um, and, and you can't, you can't even prioritize over any aspect of the family, be it the mothers or the, the sisters or brothers or sons or daughters or but that would be the our cousins even um because I've I've, I've fifty cousins I think so it's a huge um but it's an Irish thing. Are you from a big family? No, I, there was four in our family, but my both my parents had big families. Uh, they had lots of brothers and sisters, so so that's where the you know the cousins would come from. Um, but I do value um the 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 relationships that I have with my. My siblings, my my cousins, my and that's not to say it's all palsy wazzy with all of them because some of them are so busy that you you wouldn't even see them at weddings or funerals. But regardless, um, I would value 
and I, not in a tribal sense. I don't like the idea of of tribalism, um, but in an individual sense. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a visitor. So anytime I'm in the neighborhood of any of my relations, I would call in as a, as a way of of um, keeping that whole um, loose knot together. Um, so yeah, it'd have to be my, my family would be the greatest addition, the greatest compliment to my children, my partners, my cousins. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it as is. I say, but with outlining the fact that I'm not into tribalism. I think tribalism is, is unhealthy and dangerous. I think it's um, it's not it's not healthy. I don't like tribalism at all. And do you mean that as suppose you you love your family but not tribalism? I'm I'm not. Yeah, I'm talking about the clannish kind of thing that okay. kind of um, because what comes out of that comes um, localism, nationalism, and and countyisms, and and international. You know, I, I would consider I'd like to consider my my mental outlook on the world as being I'm an internationalist as opposed to an Irish person. Um, and so while you love your family, it's just the individual family, the individual mem family members uh, that you love. Yeah, it's it's not that you love the big clan or whatever. Yeah, I would yeah. not embrace the clan in the clan yeah. sense. However, as I say, I would embrace my cousins uh, willingly, uh, consistently, um, and without any other expectation other than just to meet them, because they would have been the the. The troops that you hung around with as a child. Okay. You know, we're, we're going to visit the cousins here and the cousins there. That's so, so that's basically. So it's, it's individual people you really like. Uh, you know, as you say that, I just realized that's the way I am. It's individual people I like. I don't like big group thinking or, or whatever, but yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's that's me anyway. That's that's um. And I'm going to ask you another question here. Um, your inner life, because you've spoken a lot about your outer life, but I, I do like the sense of the values that come through you all the way, even though you're talking about a lot of outer stuff. When I listen to you and hear you, I, I hear a lot of stuff, let's say, for want of a better word, coming from a very deep part of Eric and so I'm going to ask you in your innermost being what what is it do you think that's carrying you through your life because you're quite philosophical maybe you don't realize that but I don't realize it the the inner me um when when i was in school we um we went to the jazz down the sea road and the, the jesuits were very um forward thinking and we all went off on uh retreats and these retreats were very um exploratory um and you know you're a kid you just take it as as a given but it it afforded all of um the people that I went to school with, um, a huge insight into how to um, how to how to be and how not to be, um, and I suppose it included kindness. It included a lot of other things, um, but it included the, the 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 challenges associated with what's it all about. Um, that's the Jesuits. That's what they do. Um, I think that's that's what they did for me and to by me. Um, so I suppose there's always been an insight there that uh, came from my formative years. Um, and then art college is very exploratory. So it would include a lot of the self and it would include a lot of um, um, fuel for inspiration, I suppose. And the fuel for inspiration for me personally would have um, come from, um, I suppose, my moral my morals are in some way. Um, and then the inner self, you're in your in your 
late forties when things go quiet, you, you you're left with no other choice but to ask yourself the big question: is what the bloody hell is it all about? And that's that's that can be a cursed question for for many because there is no real answer I find as to what it's all about. Um, the challenges associated with the, the big question. The Godhead, the 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 the, the Catholic uh, upbringing, the, the 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 changes in Ireland, the the alternative energies, the alternative uh, religions, the alter alternative beliefs. Um, the dog agrees. Um, you know what's it all about? Like, so I I I think I think. Um, they're the, they're the questions that are, that are asked of oneself, um, and I suppose to conclude to conclude satisfactorily to a personal satisfaction, um, you have to bring in the, the the philosophical. You have to bring in the met metaphysical. Because I mean, we're all inducted into a into a, um, into a, an Ireland which was religious and and pious and and whatever, and and then suddenly you're in 2021, and it's a completely different ballpark. All every thing that we took as certainties were were completely thrown out the window. So we you know we had we had. Well, I've gone into too much detail. We, you know, we, we had we had next to nothing in the seventies and eighties, and now we have we have a choice of cars, a choice of foods, a choice of everything. We have a choice of an unlimited choice, and I'm sure it's the same across the Western world. Anyway, across the, well, the first world, for want of a better description, um, you know, we're blessed. We're totally blessed, and that goes hand in glove with one's understanding. Of no matter how bad it is emotionally or or even physically, we're still, you know, uh, we're so we're so well off, it transcends back pain. <laughs> we're so well off, it transcends all emotional pain. We're so well off. Uh, I feel anyway, I feel so blessed um, that it does transcend pretty much all of. The difficulties associated with my my life really yeah we we are quite well off yeah. in the western world well we'll see how long that lasts for the time well i mean it's not for us to be weighing <laughs> the current, it, weighing it up, current things I, I suppose what i'm getting at really is that uh, gratitude is the is the ultimate um deal changer in all in all um outlooks that if you can be grateful for what you have i suppose it does transcend an awful lot of intellectual and physical challenges um how does that sound, does that, sound? that sounds amazing <laughs> gratitude i mean i keep forgetting to i do thank morning and night I go out to the garden and okay. I thank the earth and I thank nature and I thank the sky and the universe just a quick it's not anything big yeah. um, and I do it in the morning and I do it at night um, I wouldn't be that absolute on it but no I, no I, but I, it doesn't I, matter how you do no, it I, I would you consider know, my own personal one would be as a, I, I think I have it as a constant I, I, I genuinely feel that I have gratitude there as a constant in my well, it reflects in your life. Your life is, yeah, well, you know, and you look happy as well. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that you look happy all the time, but you, you know, you do. No, I mean, you do put your best foot forward anyway. And I suppose that's probably part of my mother came from a merchant uh, family in a small town, and and I suppose the the, the induction of childhood included. You do put your best foot forward, and you do make the most of your day and um, try to leave everything uh, resolved before you go to bed at night, um, mm. if at all possible. Because you have one chance at every moment. 
Well, that's, that's a hard one to keep uh, fresh, but it's a mm. truth. Um, but uh, yeah, I feel blessed in, in so many different ways. Um, I'm blessed with a sense of humor as well. <laughs> I can see the funny side of I love the ridiculous. I love the absurd. No, I, I have been uh, a party to your <laughs> sense of humor, and you do. It's so true. Um, oh, that was, I was that's just a lovely conversation to have with you, Eric. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Gee, that you've forgotten. You said a lot. I mean, off the top of my head, I cannot think of anything. Um, it's just good to have an old chat with you, Jill, considering we only met uh, two months ago or thereabouts. We hadn't seen each other for multiples of tens uh, of years. Well, I think you were at so, my 50th birthday party okay. that you forgot you <laughs> yeah. were at, by the way. No, no, <laughs> I accept that too. And with Pete, was I? <laughs> I can't remember. Ah, you can't remember. I can't, no, I had about a hundred people at okay. it at the time. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I do yeah, enjoy Yeah, I love having big parties yeah. when you can have when a big party. Parties, it's a different time to have a big party now. Would you like to be contacted? Do you do anything that you would like to be contacted? And if so, how can you be contacted? Gosh, do, do you, do, no, you don't have to. I don't no. need to be contacted, really. You um, don't. Through you. Through you, Jill. <laughs> you can follow Jill's Okay, email. if anyone wants a piece of artwork or a, 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 a zigzag set of stairs, you can contact me and I'll get on to yeah, Eric. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, well, thanks a million, Eric. That was so thank great. Thank you too, Jill. You brought out a conversation in me that I probably never had before because of the form, the formality of of the podcast and that's nice to be able to do that and i suppose um i go back home now and i'll share the uh, the link and they go what the hell is that all about or maybe they say oh typical or whatever they say not at all not at all uh, because I, I i mean i've interviewed other friends and i hear new things about friends and when i've been interviewed i have friends come back and say i never knew that about you joe um, yeah yeah well because you have different kinds of conversations that that you just wouldn't normally have i don't know uh how we have conversations when we're just there and ourselves and not recording it but in any case thank you so much well, thank you too anyway as i say you brought out a, you brought out a, a, a story well i hope so, i did yeah that's that i really do hope i did and that you've enjoyed it as well thank you for listening to lady time today i hope you enjoyed our conversation Please share with your friends and on your social media widely and keep an eye out for the next episode coming soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.